is uh, time for you, if you have a moment, to join us on Facebook Live Morning Brewers Ad page because at this moment on the Thursday, we say hi to Steve Vines from his Saikung Lair. How are you? It's a secure location. Secure I can location. say no more. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I'm sitting here with an armed guard over the loo rolls. Because yeah. you know what it's like with loo roll. It could be heisted at any moment. Do you do your own shopping? Yeah. And what have you seen in Saikung? I mean, might as well get the on the spot. Well, I, I mean, to, to, to be honest, I, it doesn't seem so panicky here. But may, maybe that's because everyone's avoiding me. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there, there might there might be that. Anyway, it's all yours, mate. Say where you want. Well, I mean, we've seen the um, the, the first evacuation of people from the good ship virus yeah. in in Yokohama, and I mean, what was that? What on earth was going on there? They sent over this sort of bevy of officials, mm -hmm. including the director of information, the under sorry, the director of immigration the Undersecretary of Security. And it turns out, although funnily enough, they haven't grossly publicised this, that nobody from Japan would talk to them. So, I mean, why are these senior officials spending their time getting on planes, going to Yokohama, when they'd obviously not done the groundwork? And then they get there and start whinging about the fact mm -hmm. that people are being disembarked from the ship on the basis of age, not nationality. What? I thought that was the whole point in a medical crisis, that you looked after the elderly first because they were more vulnerable, and then you, you maybe wondered what nationality they had. They actually said in public that they thought this was a very bad thing. Is it possible that they knew that they weren't welcome on board, but they wanted to give it a crack anyway? No, it wasn't. No, no, no. no. It wasn't that they weren't welcome on board. Is that they the, the, the pretext... <coughs> excuse me, that's a non-viral cough. The pretext <laughs> for sending... <laughs> Um, such um, high-level officials was that they were going to negotiate with their Japanese counterparts. Oh. Now, you know, in, in, in grown-up land, I know that doesn't ex extend to the Hong Kong government. What that usually means is you do extensive groundwork mm. to make sure you've got somebody to negotiate with when you get there. Right. They've obviously not done that because nobody would speak to them. Mm. So the Japanese, who, who incidentally uh, seem to be not managing this, this as... Uh, with anything like the um, precision they should be. That'll Sorry. Be the phone. That'll be the phone. So it's I'm... caught everybody out, Steve. I mean, the Japanese, we think of them as super-duper organised. Exactly. I mean... Um, Don't worry about it. Take your time. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the Japanese have a reputation for superb organisation. We saw from this doctor who went on the ship the other day that, that the quarantine conditions were quite clearly far from adequate mm. anyway the good news is some hong kong people have returned they've been they've got on a plane they've got out of the ship but then you've got this absolutely mind-boggling attitude of hong kong officials they're like the schoolboy whose who, 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 whose parents are trying to get him to do the homework and he goes oh ma'am i've done the history but I don't want to do the math. The math is really difficult. Oh, I've done the history. Don't make me do the math. Mm. So this is this is the Hong Kong government when asked whether they're also going to do something about all the people who are stuck in that hellhole, which is Hubei province. Mm. And they're going, well, you know, we've got people out of Japan. You know, Hubei, really difficult. Oh, my God, it's really big. Incidentally, who knew Hubei province was big before? We've now discovered that. Well, let's stick with that biscuit tin that is the ship, because essentially that's what it is. I mean, goodness me, talk about a 
well, I'm assuming a breeding ground. <coughs> well, quite obviously. I mean, the number of infections that have come out of that ship have been humongous. And I quite understand why people wanted to get out of it. But I also quite understand why Hong Kong residents want to get out of Hubei. I mean, that is still the epicenter of this medical crisis. Yeah. And they are looking enviously at people from Russia, people from India, people from Britain, people from you name it, who've been evacuated from the province. Well, the, 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 the people who are sitting here, the highly competent, well-organized machine of waxworks, which is the uh, Lamb administration, seem totally, totally incompetent of doing anything except going, oh, my goodness, it's so difficult. Oh, had you any idea what the problems were? Oh, no. Well, the fact is that, that 40 other um, uh, places have managed to evacuate their nationals. Hmm. The question is, <coughs> why is Hong Kong not among them? And, and I'll give you one marvellous illustration of... Um, of competence. So in LegCo yesterday, there's a fellow who you may well not have heard of called James Lau, who's the Secretary for Financial Services. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know, not most high profile person on earth. He was asked in LegCo whether in light of the coronavirus crisis, companies could postpone their reporting of their results. And he said, because he's a really top official, he said, oh yes, more medical, uh, more surgical masks are on the way. Yes. Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hang on. Wait a minute. He was asked about company reporting. He replied about surgical masks. He then said, or rather, he didn't. One of his one of his people then said, "Oh well, you know, Mr. Lau, <coughs> while sitting in Ledco, was really busy on his phone, trying to source masks." Well, hang on. He's the financial services secretary. Shouldn't he be rather busy trying to look after what he's paid to 50 do? 50-50, was that a, I wouldn't say a porky, but a throwaway comment? A, a bridge, yeah. as the PR people think, call it. I think what we're talking <laughs> about is just levels of incompetence. We really are. I mean, the government's already admitted that they've lost the plot on um, supplying masks to the people of Hong Kong. Yes. Apparently anybody else can do it, you know, I mean... Domasistos can go off to, to Honduras. you've got bleach on the brain. Domasisto. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Robatting. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's a bleach. We're in bleach It's situation. true, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, you know, can go off to Honduras and find masks. Um, whereas Matthew Jung in Legco yesterday goes, oh, you know, if anybody knows where you can get a mask, please let me know. We are looking, you know. But, you know, I mean, well, you know, Steve, you told me last week, I think you were talking about Joshua Wong and the guys from Demasisto and others. Yes, There's called, pictures yes. of them in front of these great big pallets of Mars. They didn't seem to have a problem doing it, uh, uh, you know. They got that, that first privately. consignment from the States. They've now got one from Honduras. And other private sector and voluntary organisations have managed to find Mars. The only organisation that's totally failed in this is the Hong Kong government. The people who have enough officials to, 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 to go trooping off to the airport to wave goodbye to immigration officials and what have you. Listen, boys, do your job. Don't be so busy standing in front of cameras mm. looking for photo opportunities to prove that you're doing your job. Let's talk about the word failed. I mean, OK, everybody has an opinion. That's yours. But can we think, to your knowledge, you know, why specifically? What things do you think? I, I think we have a major 
governmental crisis. Now, I mean, obviously the protests that started in June exposed the political crisis. The lack of response from government demonstrated there's a competence crisis and a crisis in thinking. But I mean, yeah. there's something I think now more fundamental. When a regime starts disintegrating from the top, mm -hmm. it, it layers down. It most definitely does. I mean, this is a regime that's that's wailing and gnashing its teeth about, for example, the question of quarantine centres. There's now been a, a, a scandal over the virus being t um, transmitted through wastewater pipes. Yeah. And there's also this overwhelming nonsense going in Hong Kong about lack of stocks of things like... Well, that's because people have gone bananas. I mean, there's a history of panic um, buying here, isn't there? You remember there Maria's cake shop, for goodness it sake? It wasn't as bad. It really wasn't as bad. And I was here, and I think the listener may well have been here as well, in 2003 during the SARS crisis. Yeah. But the point about all of this is that these big pandemics, epidemics, whatever you want to call them, are not unpredictable. They really aren't. One of the things that sensible governments did, and I hate to give an example of the Singapore government, but it is a government that also had experience of the SARS crisis and did a lot afterwards. Mm. This government produced reports after that saying, oh, yes, we must do something about contingency plans for quarantine camps. Oh, yes, we do know that there is a problem with uh, mixing wastewater with with um, ventilation supplies and oh yes we should do something about stocking up with protective equipment mm. none of that none of that was done so you know it's no good for them to start bleating and going oh my goodness who knew this was going to happen it's an absolute you know it's it's complete and utter holics mm. they've really got to take responsibility not for what, not only for what has been done, but for what hasn't been done. Yeah. And that brings us back to this lunacy in the shops. And I do think it's lunacy over cooking oil, um, you know, face tissues and all the rest of it, where there blatantly is not a shortage. But once you've lost the confidence of the public, everything starts going down the drain. Yeah. You know, people just don't believe a word that they're told. The government says, we've got plenty of rice, no need to panic by it. They go, what? The government? These are the people. No, no, I don't believe it. If they say there's plenty of rice, there must be a problem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Steve. So just say what you think. I think that's all I need to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> you know well, you're forcing me to be critical, and it's not in my nature. All right, then, Steve, <laughs> we will come back after the news. Hold your horses for now, and uh, we'll be back in about uh, 10 minutes or so. Any questions for Steve? It's morningbrew at rthk.hk, and I will put part two up on our Morning Brew Facebook page. And on for a Thursday, we're back on Facebook Live with Steve Vines. I just hedged my bets there a little and restarted it. Steve, we've got some emails here. Would you want me to read them? Uh, please, please, <laughs> in colour, please. Let's go to Douglas, first of all. This is all on Morning Brew at rthk.hk, but uh, do get on our Morning Brew page if you want to put your comment up. Um, Douglas says, I wouldn't want your job, boys. Uh, I have run out of words describing how bad this government is long ago. See, bad, just bad, question mark, bad, bad, bad. Anyway, Douglas says, why does Regina hate working people so much? Now, that's quite an interesting one, Steve. 
That is very interesting. So um, I think what Douglas is talking about specifically is a press conference that she uh, organized yesterday to denounce health workers. I'm going to say those words again, to denounce health workers. This is the time to have a press conference to denounce health workers. Interesting. But why does she dislike health workers? Because there's a newly formed union who are now pressing for better protective clothing. And the suggestions have been made that when there are priority supplies of um, uh, protective clothing, yep. they've gone to the police. So, you know, they've been protesting about that. And Regina, who, who who's a fine person, has a solution to this. Mm -hmm. Lock them up. So, you know, Hong Kong is, is overwhelmed with medical personnel, people who are trained to do this. And her solution is, if up. they're thinking of striking or protesting, lock them up. Now, let me ask you this, Steve. Why do you think, I mean, very often you and other commentators say, she particularly will only do a certain thing with a certain motivation, rightly or wrongly. If that's the case, what is her motivation this time? As ever. I mean, to be fair to, to Regina Ip, she has a consistent motivation. It's called Regina Ip. I think she wants to insert herself into this crisis as a person who is in... in ah, a fireman. Protecting, yeah, fireman protecting Hong Kong. So, you know, she doesn't have another way of doing it. But this, for her, is a perfect storm. Mm. She can denounce people who are part of the protest movement, portray herself as a protector of Hong Kong. She dragged along to this press conference. I mean, this is almost unbearably um, repulsive. Somebody who, who, who said that as a result of the industrial action that was taken by yeah. people as previously, her husband had died. Quite reasonably... The journalists at the press conference said, well, can you tell us about that? And she promptly said, oh, no, 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 no. We can't have journalists asking questions about personal matters like this. Good morning. What was she doing there? Yeah. Talking about, allegedly, her husband, who obviously one is very sorry for the fact that anybody should have died in any circumstances. Mm. But to make an accusation like that without any form of substantiating substantiation very long word with many <laughs> syllables um uh is you know it's below contempt is this opportunism in your book i mean because people it's always say don't bring politics into this <laughs> it's opportunism 101 really it is All I, right. I, I i um so when when douglas says you know uh why does she hate hong kong people to be fair she mainly hates hong kong people who are not advancing her career and that is in my book a very terrible thing not advancing Regina's career, very, very bad. Let's go to Umesh, who I think is referring to your uh, your first topic about negotiating with authorities in Japan. Uh, Umesh, uh, thanks for the email. He says, what negotiate, question mark? Most of them brought cut price tickets for Disneyland from Kluke and the Yakitori specials from Saboya. Plus, add 50 people from here to go pick up that lot. I shudder to think how many they plan to send to pick up the 2,000 plus in Hubei. Cheers. Well, Umesh, the good news is they don't plan to send anybody to Hubei at the moment. That would be good in brackets. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, what a what a shower. What a shower. One more, no Steve. Wonder, no wonder they haven't got time to organise the Hubei evacuation. They're too busy fluttering around doing nothing useful. 
David, the supermarkets are laughing all the way to the bank. Have you noticed they pull their prices up, up, and quite a few of them uh, alone by, are owned by billionaires? And who knew the greed mongers would put their prices up? That is a rather sad state of affairs when it's Hong Kong people basically shafting Hong Kong people. Ain't that a fact? I mean, I'm shocked, of course, that the very fine well, people... It's such a shame, because there's so much good stuff. ...market duopoly should be exploiting this, uh, this situation for... for for profit. Mm. And one more, Steve. Um, this it good, is it? No. This, uh, I believe, I think this is from John. Apologies if I got it wrong. He sent me an article from the Times, basically, and the headline just says, cruise ship is a coronavirus factory, warns expert. And that's in one of the biggest newspapers in the world. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the facts speak for themselves. That there has been no other single location, as far as I know of. Although, of course, we don't know what's happening in Hubei because... Um, the the uh, <laughs> the blinds have gone down once again on the freedom of information uh, yeah. flowing out to the mainland. But I mean that that ship has produced so many people with the virus. I don't think that's an exaggerated claim. But even an O level science student could speculate that that's actually what's really going to happen. Yeah, I mean, you know, in the midst of all this, I just just you know, turning back to the subject of uh, the freedom of information flowing out of the mainland, where at a crucial moment yeah. where we really do need to know what's going on, we really do need to know who's in danger, who isn't in danger. Equally important to know who isn't in danger, incidentally, because people need to be reassured. Yeah, th th This is the week in which China has chosen to expel three reporters from the uh, Wall Street Journal. Because, I mean, this this is where... You know, you just wonder what the priorities are of the Chinese government because they objected to a commentary which wasn't written by any of these three people, yeah. as it so happens. They also, and then they said it's racially insulting. One of the things about these three reporters, and I wouldn't press it in other circumstances, is they all happen to be ethnically Chinese. Hmm. So, <laughs> you know, um, uh, uh, they they objected to a commentary column which was highly critical of the way China was handling the virus. And, you know, um, as, again, somebody who I wouldn't normally quote, but as Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, said, you know, in, in grown-up societies, what you do when you don't like a comment is you you state your contrary argument and you, you put before the public an alternative explanation. Yeah. Um, their alternative explanation is shoot the messenger yeah it's interesting that very often it's the like the overseas living chinese nationals that uh, pay the price well in this case it, it, it it's reporters who happen to yeah. be ethnically chinese I, I don't believe that well in fact i know for a fact they're not chinese nationals but anyway i mean if you know you're what i'm saying though ethnic, it's, it's if you're going to play the ethnic card yes. which is what they did rather than play the political card try and make it vaguely vaguely um respectable you've made you've reminded me of something steve did you see that stuff doing the rounds a couple of days ago about a, a leaked <coughs> leaked report about muslims getting lifted because they have beards and veils yes i mean so, is this it's not a good time for that kind of news to come out is it this this is a um a report which um surfaced as you say this week and it and it and it's part of this wider story of the one million uyghurs people who are Muslim in, in Xinjiang yeah. who are in 
internment camps, which are called training or re-education centres in Communist Party speak. Yep. And the report is a rather enormous, detailed, leaked document. This is the point. Yes. It's a leaked document. It's not somebody coming in and saying, oh, we think they're, they're, they're you know, rounding up people with beards, wooing with veils. This is an internal document that somebody in the bureaucracy, presumably in the great tradition of whistleblowers, has found to be objectionable and has placed in the hands of people in the West. We have to ask every time something like this comes up, Steve, with your, with your you know, much journalistic experience, does that document look totally legit to you? I mean, you have to ask and ask and ask these days, don't you? And, and you're quite right. I mean, anybody can produce a piece of paper and say this is a leaked document. Well, what's happened in this particular instance is it's been looked at very carefully okay. by people who have a lot of knowledge of Xinjiang. And they've gone through the detail of it and said, you know, you don't get that level of detail. Okay. From your imagination, it, it 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 derives from a source that clearly is inside the machine, mm. and for reasons which we don't know, has decided to expose it. But the terrifying thought that in Xinjiang you can be picked up for having a beard, you can be picked up for wearing a veil. I mean, we kind of knew that. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a million people in in detention camps. But it's always useful to have this stuff verified in black and white, and that yeah. is. To, to be what, we, what we've got now. So this is another thing on the pile of stuff that's coming out of China at the moment. So we always talk about Hong Kong, Steve, but let's look at what your thoughts are on Xi Jinping's detractors. How are they milking this? Well, I mean, I think this is really the big question because we don't know what the political fallout will be. We've seen that um, uh, Beijing has done what it always does in a crisis is sacrifice the few to preserve the many at the top of the party. Yeah. So we, we've seen high-profile sackings last week of, part, uh, of provincial party officials and some 300 other minor officials who've either been sacked or, or suspended. And the word minor is the operative word. Okay. And this is how the party always works. The leadership always act in good faith. The only re reason they may make mistakes is because they've been fed poor quality of information or irresponsible actions by the lower echelons. Mm. Now, the question is, will people buy this? I mean, the reality of living in a big Chinese city at the moment is you, on the whole, can't go out. Many people have either lost their jobs or are sitting at home without work because their companies aren't paying them. They're finding it difficult to get supplies. There's a sense of, of I wouldn't say panic, because that's that's quite a strong word. But there is a sense of unease, as far as one can tell, in, in uh, on the mainland, as indeed there is in Hong Kong. So, you know, what? how is this going to pan out? What is going to happen when the crisis ends, which it will, of course, because these, these epidemics do end, when, you know, the much fabled, the main selling point of the Chinese Communist Party is we produce consistent economic growth. When it becomes clear that that will not be available, particularly this year, how's that going to work? Yeah. How's that going to play out in political terms? How are all the many enemies that Xi Jinping has made within the party itself, people who feel they've been slighted by him and his clique, people who've been demoted, 
people who no longer have the their hands on the fortunes that they had before. Yeah. How are they going to react? Are they going to sit there and go, hmm, don't think I'll do anything about this? Yeah. I'm Maybe. not sure that's how it will pan out. This is a gift for them, isn't it? It really is. I mean, you know, it's not it's not axiomatic that because A happens, B will result. I think that's one thing that we've learned from not only Chinese history, but all history. Yeah. But what we've also learned is it's these unexpected developments that become a trigger. And the trigger only becomes a, a, a force when people become involved and when enough people are saying, do you know what? I'm fed up with this. I'm going to raise my voice. Mm. That's how change occurs. All right, Steve. And we've seen it in a minor way on <clears throat> social media, outlets like Weibo, which, you know, have notoriously been very, very tightly controlled. But the volume of citizenry taking to Weibo, mm. posting their views, criticizing the administration is I think, again, not to overuse the word, unprecedented. So there is something going on. Would you call them brave, bearing in mind people I think it is bravery. Brave. I mean, defying the Communist Party is not a low-cost option. Mm. All right, Steve, Coda, one more if you've got it. Something a bit well, more... Well, just, just very quickly. You know um, all these political parties and what have you have been going to um, the administration and saying, you know, in the upcoming budget, we'll, we, we think the least you can do is dish out large sums of cash to the citizenry. I think the Democratic Party is looking for 10,000 bucks per person. Other proposals have been 8,000. Now, normally, I think this is an exceedingly bad idea <clears throat> because the idea that you give the same amount of money to the rich and the poor people doesn't seem to me to be right. But given that even by the administration's own admission, their so-called help package for businesses isn't going to be available, mm for another four months. Yeah. Maybe we do need a simple and straightforward cash giveaway, one time only. I can't believe I've just heard you say that. <laughs> <laughs> what, cash giveaway or one time one only? One time only. All right, Steve, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. We'll do it again next week. That is Steve Vines. 